Hello, and you're very welcome to Season 2 of Pricey Talks Real Life. It's great to be back on air. Well, what are we going to do today? Well, today I'm chatting with a gentleman. His name is Michael O'Sullivan, and we're going to talk about his story. And let me tell you, it's a good one. I'll give you a little bit of an introduction. In December 2017, Michael O'Sullivan and Matt Murphy, two gentlemen from Stony Batter in Dublin, two straight men decided to get married. And the reason they decided to get married was to avoid paying inheritance tax. Now, at the time, this caused a stir in Ireland. And not just in Ireland, it became an international story. A documentary was filmed on them by a gentleman called Donald Maloney. He called that Let the Rest of the World Go By. That documentary was aired on RTE television in 2021. And it it was excellent telling their story. However, what I'm going to do today is chat to Michael and I'm going to talk about his story, his background, how he met Matt, how they decided to get married, the wedding, the media attention and what life is like for him now after all the commotion and everything that went on. It's a good story and I hope you're going to enjoy it. So let's have a chat with Michael O'Sullivan. Michael O'Sullivan, you're very welcome to Pricey Talks Real Life. It's really good to have you here today. Thanks very much. Are you keeping good? Are you keeping well? Great, thank you. Great. Well, Michael, we're going to chat about your story today. It's something that uh, I found absolutely fascinating. I became aware of yourself and uh, Matt Murphy around about 2017. And it's a story that some of the listeners to this podcast may be familiar with. But because of our audience, there's probably a lot of people that don't know this story. So I'd like to, I think it'd be nice if we maybe revisited part of the story, had a chat about what it is. But before we get there, um, you know, just to go back to how I heard about you, your story was global. It wasn't just a national story in Ireland. I mean, the story of yourself and Matt in 2017, 2018 and beyond reached the four corners of the globe, America, Australia, Asia, Europe. I think if people listening to this, if they Googled Michael O'Sullivan or and Matt uh, Murphy, they would actually see pages and pages and pages of headlines um, ranging from two straight men marry to avoid inheritance tax, um, best friends marry to avoid inheritance tax or, or along those likes. What was it like for you at that stage? Well, it was unbelievable. I mean, we couldn't believe it because we didn't think what we were doing was anything unusual you know if it had been a man and a woman no one would have said anything exactly know? so it, it, to reach the global population that it reached was unbelievable unbelievable I mean, it, well let's 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 take you back a little bit to that so if we can maybe before the news broke um in media or social media can we find out just a little bit about yourself michael um who you know who is michael o'sullivan could you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah well i was born near Stony Batter as well, the bottom of Stony Batter, a place called Ben Borb Street, which was a fairly rough area at the time. Yeah. That was back in 1959, and I lived in I lived there till, till I got married. And I moved to Swords uh, when I got married. Um, had one child, and then, um, unfortunately, the marriage broke up. Uh, had a second relationship then, and had two children there. And, uh, unfortunately, that broke up as well. So I was then 
um, I moved down to Rush in North County Dublin. I was yeah. a member of the drama group in Rush. I started acting when I was 28. I was going to join the Abbey School, the Gaelic School of Acting. But my boss in work, a girl called Mary Lee, he said to me, look, she says, my sister's doing a play. Don't fork out. I think it was £400 in 1986. It was very expensive. Just, my sister's doing a play. Go down and see, do you like it? Yeah. So I went down in that night. Now, I'd been very nervous. I'd be always very nervous at meetings. I'd nearly be, heart would be beating down my chest if I had to ask a question. So I stood there watching them rehearse. And then this girl, Catherine Lee, said, come up here and read this. And I go, no, 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 I can't. Yeah. But she got me up to read. And the following day, she called me and said, look at Michael, will you take the part? And she said, because if you don't, we can't do the play. We're yeah. just short. And it was a play called Translations by Brian Friel. And that was my first play. So I went in and I did that. And I just really enjoyed it and did a number of plays with them. Then uh, ran into a head, what, what you could, somebody who thinks they're better than you, which I don't like. Uh, left that group and I was in Swords for a while, but then went to the Millbank Theatre in Rush. Yeah. And the, the Rush drama is fantastic. It's as good as you get anywhere in the world. The, um, the group was on the go since 1927. And uh, they built their own theatre in 19, coming up to 1990. So they had their own theatre. So I joined them and I've been with them ever since. I'm still a member yeah, now after 22 years. So, so that's, that's your main hobby. Uh, that was my main hobby. Yeah. And then when I left Aircom, that became my, well, I suppose my thing to do. And, and we, were you working as a telecom engineer? What happened was I, I worked, um, first of all, on, on the on post, the old days, the Department of Post and Telegraphs, I started there. Then they became... Telecom Air and then Aircom. And mostly back in, in 86, I joined up with the computer side. So I was a computer programmer and then analyst and looking after computers. Sure. And um, it's quite interesting because there was a documentary made by RTE on your story and Matt's story. Well, and, I do, I'm going to cut this off because it wasn't made by RTE. It was made by a chap called Donald Maloney. Uh, we've been put in touch. What happened? I'll just, I'll just say this because it's it, everyone's saying how good RTE were, but this was made by Donald Maloney. With, he couldn't get any funding, even though the story was worldwide, no one would fund them to make so he decided to make it himself. Brilliant. And eventually, after when Matt had died, they then he then went to RTE and said, Look, can we not put this on here? And they discussed and then he put it on RTE. And took it on board. This is Donald Maloney, Donald Maloney Photography is the guy who made the film. So, Donald's uh, documentary. On both you guys, it I suppose it started. What got me of interest there is it mentioned that you met Matt. Uh, you knew him from Aircom mm. or from Telecom, Telecom yeah. Air, and back in the days. And I suppose knowing, just hearing a little bit about your background there, Matt's background. Matt was, I'd say, an unusual character as he was referred to as a butler. Yeah. Uh, in Donald's documentary, and. It, it sort of reminded me of a Downshire Abbey type role where he was the butler in a big house in Cashel or around the Cashel area in County Tipperary. Yeah, yeah. How did he end up moving from being a butler to working in Telecom Aaron? Well, the, Matt's story is, is a story in itself. Um, Matt was illegitimately born in 1935. The family were uh, the gatekeepers of this big house called Noan House in a place called Ballinure, which is about five miles from Cashel. He was born and kept in the house, which was unusual in 1935. They were Protestant, even though his name yes. was Murphy. Yeah. The family were Protestant. And um, unfortunately, the, I suppose the, his, his grandparents, who he always thought were his parents, yeah. were not happy what happened. But they still kept him, which I think was fantastic for him. Yeah. You know? Did his grandparents work in the house also? What happened was they were the gatekeepers. 
those gates have to be open and closed and locked at any time, day or night. Yeah. So if someone was going out, they'd have to open the gates, but the gates had to be always locked. So I think they were gatekeepers. Then Matt's uncles, and it, his mother must have worked at some stage for the family as well, because they had a huge two and a half thousand acre estate there. They had their own woods. They had their own sawmills, cows, horses. They were famous horses as well. Because was a horse, they had a horse that ran in the Grand National. So they were quite well to do. They were um, the Armitage family. Yeah. And the Armitage family are very big in England still. Um, the famous thing about them as well is that in England they founded the National Council of the Blind and they founded it in Ireland as well. So they were quite a well-known family and people would come for them for, uh, if there was any problems, you came to the Armitage. Came to they, were, they, were, they were really good people. So Matt then was born there. He was sent to Belfast, or not near Belfast, um, near Lisbon, for um, secondary education. Yes. But he hated being up there. He had cousins up there. And when he was, so he was there for two years. And then what they used to do was the family up there would come down on holidays to um, Tipperary. Yeah. And go around there. And then what happened was they'd go home and bring Matt with them. Yeah. But that, th- that day they was meant to go, Matt went into the woods and they couldn't spe- look there for hours for him. So he ended up him. staying in Cashel. So he ended up staying in Cashel. And they said to him, well, if you're not going to go to school, you're going to go to work. So he was 13. He started off as a trainee butler in the big house. Right. And he worked with them for nearly 20 years. And from there, he obviously made his way to Dublin. What happened then was he looked after his grandparents. Because remember, Matt, up to when Matt was in his late teens, he thought his grandparents were his parents. Yeah. His mother did marry. That, uh, I have to just say that that probably wasn't unusual back in the day, in those days in Ireland. There was a lot of that where the grandparents looked after. Oh, for sure, yeah. But the, the thing was that he always thought his grandparents were his yeah. parents. He thought his mother was his sister. Yeah. Well, but the mother got married yeah. and moved to another lodge on, on the estate. But he stayed with his grandparents yeah. because he thought they were his parents. And he looked after them as well. So he did his work and always looked after them. And then when they both could, died... Could I ask you, just yeah. sorry to interrupt yeah. you there, Mike, but when did he find out that his grandparents... Late teens, I'd say. Late teens. Say and how, did late that affect teens. him or was it just... Uh, um, I think he was always... Asked, well, he, 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 when he was around 20, I suppose, he said, who, who, who is my father? You know, who is my father? But his, grandpa, his grandmother said that she had a secret and she would take it to the grave. It's a silly thing to say to somebody, but that she has a secret... And she would take it to the grave. Yeah. She did. He never knew who his never father knew. was. Yeah. Now, there was a, a thought at the time, of course, that it was one of the Armitage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because there was two sons there. Unfortunately, both sons were killed in the war. And the three sisters were left. One sister married and the other two then. Did he suspect? Well, there was a, well he didn't know who it was. He, they were told it was a per- certain person, but he didn't believe it. I did uh, a DNA test on him. You know, yeah. the DNA tests. And it came back that he was 25% English. Yeah. I, I did at the same time, and I'm 100% Irish, you know, oh, yeah. from Munster, where my father was from, and then a bit from Cavan, where my mother was from. Yeah. But mostly my DNA is, is, is down in Munster. So um, really, it's, it, yourself and Matt got to know each other then, just taking your backgrounds aside. Just, just, I'll, I'll just finish the part where he came. What happened was when his grandmother eventually died, uh, the housekeeper was like a mother to him. He, there was a housekeeper, uh, Miss Gray, and she was a wonderful woman. And uh, she said, now's the time to get out of here now. Go off and enjoy your life. You know? yeah. So he came up to Dublin and he got a job through a friend of his, again, in servitude. He was... Um, and would he have had the funds or did he just travel to Dublin? No, I don't he know had? how he, I, I suppose he must have had some little bit of money because yeah. he lived on the estate. He probably wasn't paying rent, I'd say, because yeah. he was working there. So whatever money he had, he came to Dublin and he got a job with... A, a, top dental surgeon in Dunleary and he was 
the valet or the manservant of that house yes. for a few years. Yeah. Then another man that he knew, a very wealthy man that he met at church, because Matt used to go to church in um, Dawson Street, St. Anne's, he'd go in there. And this man was from town, but he used to go there. So we met him there. And this man asked him, he was going on to sell some property in Australia and he wanted to go a cruise. But he would have needed somebody to look after him. Yeah. The dentist had gone across, the dentist had gone across to Australia for a year. So, so everyone said to Matt, go on the cruise. You must, you know, Matt didn't even have a, a passport. So he went and got a passport and he went on this cruise with this man as his valet as well, yeah. or his companion. Yeah. And it was six weeks going out, six weeks in Australia and six weeks coming back. And uh, but when he came back again, he had no job. And of course, this man kind of just let him go and didn't, of course, didn't try yeah, to help yeah. him. You know, he'd he'd serve his purpose serve his as purpose. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he then became, uh, again, his old friend, uh, got him another job and again working for a Jewish lady who was an, owned a number of jewellery shops and she lived in Sandyford and he had his own apartment. We actually went out and saw the house. Uh, he had an apartment downstairs and he had a winding staircase that went up to his apartment into the main part of the house where this woman lived and she wanted everything white. She was very particular. She wanted him always to be at home in case the phone rang yeah. and the only time he got out was when she came home in the evening he would get out for the evening and sometimes he would just go into town on a bus yeah. To get the last bus home, yeah, yeah, have just a walk to get around out, and come you know, back, yeah, yeah, yeah. So eventually, he he just couldn't stand it anymore, and he tidied the whole place up, uh, cleaned the whole place up, and then wrote a note to her and said, "Look, I can't stand it anymore." And he ended up leaving and coming in and staying with a friend of his in Palmerstown. No job, but then he got a first job working for ordinary people. There was a garage equipment company on Usher, off Usher's Key in the city centre. And they were looking for somebody to help out in the office. So we got that job and he worked with them for three years. And this was the first time he worked for as ordinary a, yeah, people yeah. as an equal. Yeah, rather than being a butler or a valet or, or, or a carer. Yeah. Or do, or and he said they were just wonder, wonder, wonderful time. But he used to come in a shirt and tie. And they used to say, don't come in a shirt and tie. You know, yeah. I mean? you know, we just don't, that's not the way it is. But he always wore a shirt and tie. And he just said it was wonderful working for them. But when he left, he then when he was 39, coming up to 40, he went for the job to join Aircom. You, you, they didn't take in people over 40. So he was 39. 39 and he went in, in April. <laughs> yeah. His his birthday was July 5th. And he went in in April in the aircon. He didn't have Irish. But when he went in for the interview, they asked him about the about being a butler. And of course, yes, they nearly yes, spent the whole yeah. interview talking about yeah. that. Of course, yeah. And he got the job. He so was he probably up, the only butler that applied for that job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he'd been three years with this garage equipment company. And... What was unusual, he did have a little tea party when he was leaving. And the owner of the company cried when he left. He said, he just broke down. He said he, that he thought Matt was such a wonderful person and that if he ever had any spare time, to come on in and give them a hand with this, the stock controller. Fantastic. Like that, you know? yeah. he just, uh, they, and he got in that by the skin of his teeth into aircon. Yeah. So he started Can off, you imagine now if you tried to edge discriminate in a oh, position? Yeah. It just doesn't exist. Doesn't but exist as you said, they didn't take people over 40. Over 40 at that time. Yeah. They didn't take anyone yeah. over 40. So he then started off as a, what, like, what they call a telephonist. And he could only work at night. This was 1970, coming into 1975. He could only work at night. Because the women walked during the day, and the men walked at night, and never the twain should meet. They weren't even allowed to work in the same room together. Very good. Yeah. So he then started off as a night telephonist, which struggled with him because he, um, I suppose, he had anxiety problems. And how we met then was in 1990, Matt was going to leave, but his boss said, "Look, we have this new, this new system. This computer is going to do everything on computer." And he was going, "I'd never be able to do that." But he said, "No, come over and try it." 
And at that stage, I was working on what was called the directory inquiry system. The old days, you rang 1190. That's it. Many a time I've done it. Many a time people have done it. And it was free at the time. And uh, so you rang 1190 and you got answered by a telephonist who either had telephone books, loads of telephone books, or new number lists. But then eventually that was computerised in the late 80s. And I was the computer programmer, analyst and all, who looked after that. There was yeah. five of us looked after this, this system. And it was a brilliant system. It really was a brilliant system. So Matt was then taught how to use that. And he was really brilliant at it. So if we were doing any work, we'd always want to go to an operator that was really good at what they did. There's a few of them there who were just terrific. You know, so Matt would have been one of them. So we got to know each other in the building. We worked in the same building then, and we were both from Stony Battle. Yeah. So that's how we got to know. And that's how you got. And, that's how got and you worked know. together for a number of years. A number, about three years before yeah. he eventually left. And, um, and and at what stage then did I suppose you were working together? So at what stage did Matt, um, you know, move to Stony Batter himself? No, Matt was in Stony Batter in the late. 70s going into 80s okay yeah he moved in the early 80s yeah. I wouldn't have known him from Stony Batter yeah. because at that stage then in 1982 I bought a house in Swords yeah. so I'd moved out but that's to what I mean you're totally separate because you were yeah. work colleagues you knew each other from work I just knew him from work and he was a lovely chap he was a really yeah. not, you know a gen- he was a gentleman everyone taught him everyone had high regard, high regard for Matt yeah if you needed something if you needed a pen Matt will have it yeah. if you needed scissors Matt will have it if you needed advice if you needed advice Matt will have it you know and he always came across. I mean, one of, the, one of the funny stories was one day he was on uh, talking to somebody, and the woman at the other end of the phone says, "Can I ask you a question?" She says, "Yes. Why are they hiring English people to work? You're not Irish. Why are they hiring English people to work on this left?" He says, "How dare you, madam? I am Irish. I'm proud of it because he had this. Yeah, yeah, he had a wonderful yeah. voice because yes, when you were yeah. down the country, everything was done. He kind of learned from the gentry because yeah. remember he was working when he was thirteen till he was nearly t- yeah nearly thirty one or thirty two. Working and hearing them, and they were very gentle people. What was nice about them was they never told you what to do. They'd say, Matthew, if you have time, would you mind getting some tea? And he said, no problem. And it was always like that. You've described very well, you know, Matt's background and your own background. And I'm getting the feeling here you were mainly on the north side of Dublin at this stage. At what stage did, you know, you end up how would I phrase this, yourself and Matt talking about, you know, living together or is there a big gap? Am I missing something in between that? What happened was um, I had separated um, in 1990, I think was my first separation. Then I met a girl in 93 and because you couldn't get divorced then, she just, she moved in with me. That's when my wife then, sorry, I, 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 yeah, we were, I met another girl in 93, she moved in, we had two children but she separated from me in 97. Yeah. So I was back on my own. And I just decided to get in touch with Matt because I would keep in touch with him an odd time, you know. Yeah. And then I said, well, would you like to come to a, to a get-together in a friend's house? So we brought him out to this friend's house for a party. And everyone just loved his company. Yeah. Just a, he was a great yeah. character. Yeah. So then he started becoming regular. I, I, I was, used to go to these singing sessions. So I started saying, well, do you want to go to a singing session tonight? So I'd bring him to the singing sessions. Then I started bringing him to the Millbank and Rush to see yeah. some of the plays. So two pals heading so off. So we just end, ended up coming out a lot. And he got on very well then with a wife of a friend of mine. She, he was slim and smoked. She was slim and smoked. Yeah. And they spent a huge amount of time because when you have to go outside to smoke, he had someone to go out with. So we just became, became part of that gang of, if there was a party going on, I used to organise them because I had contacts with all the people who sang and played instruments. 
and we'd have a party in somebody's house and I would just bring Matt because Matt was great company. Yeah. And, and that's uh, just I'm getting the impression you were into the music. Oh yeah. He was I into the crack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was I was into the music and the singing. I sing a bit myself. And he enjoyed he's a great conversationalist, you know. Really, really good com. So we, you could talk about anything. So over yeah. the years I've been with him, there was never you were never short of conversation. We just talked. There wasn't yeah. you know you know this type of you don't think, you just say and so anything come into your head you could actually converse with him. So, so this meant for, for obviously for, good number you know, of years, social yeah. circle for a number yeah, of years. Number of, he'd come out to various yeah. things with me. Now, as, as it went on then, uh, see, I would stay over with him an odd time because if I, 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 when I, I left Aircom in 2002, he'd left in 1993. In 2002, I left and uh, I started doing a bit of fruit and veg delivery. So I'd have to be up early in the morning at yeah. four, half four. So there's times when if, if Matt came out to a session and I'd bring him home, I'd stay simply because... It was crazy going practical. back, impractical, yeah. and I'd go to work from. So we just kind of kept in touch that way, and then Matt's eyesight started to go bad. This was going into the 2015, 16. Matt's started getting these eyesight problems. Yeah. Um, then I lost my apartment to the bank, and I, and I was living in various houses. I was, you know, hiring a room in a house, and then that yeah. I eventually went to the la- difficult time, difficult times for, yeah. for me anyway, and. Um, so Matt was starting to lose his sight and I then was in a house where the house had been sold and I had to move. I'd know where to go. I just found it so difficult to get a house. Yeah. And I remember being in various, you'd be in various houses and you're going, yeah, we're renting the room, great stuff. And yeah, and we have, meeting everybody and they say, yes, we'll give you a call, you know. You'd never get the never call. get the call and you'd never answer the phone back to you again. And do you think that, how old were you at that stage? That's what I'm saying. I'm coming to my, to my uh, mid to late 50s, you yeah. know. Yeah. So that was kind of difficult. And then eventually I ended up having to sleep in my car. This would come to 2015, late 2015, 2016. So you, you had lost the I'd apartment? I lost the apartment. You, uh, you, you hadn't been able to secure yeah. accommodation anywhere. And so anyway, I was in my car. There's a place up um, near, in North County, Dublin, at one of the entrances to Torvey Lane, which goes down to Dunabate. And there's a big petrol station there. And behind it was an area where all the trucks used to park. And I parked there. Yeah. Because for safety, most people would, in there would be people who would be sleeping in their trucks, you know, yeah, in yeah, their big yeah. particular. So I felt safe in sleeping. And, and was in the that car. for long? That was for a period. It was a number of weeks. Yeah. If uh, there was a place called Emos, which is um, it's a place in Swords and it's a retreat centre. It was formerly a, mo- a monastery, but it became a retreat centre. But they had something like 88 rooms. So if there was a retreat going on, they'd load the rooms. But if there was any rooms available... Uh, to let out they used to put them up on booking.com but I went in and did an arrangement with them that if I paid 50 euro cash I could stay in there for a night yeah. what was nice about there you're getting bed and breakfast for 50 euro which was really good value but if if that was available great I'd take that there was a small little uh, hotel at the back of the airport and if they had a spot you paid 70 euro but there was no breakfast yeah. right? so I would use them still expensive way still, to, to live yeah. yeah but then um, and if I couldn't I'd sleep, sleep in the car, car. And was anybody aware of this? Was Matt aware of this? Matt was aware. Well, Matt, I suppose, was aware. And then Matt eventually said, he says, look, he says, why don't you come over and stay with me? Yeah. I'll, you'll have somewhere to live and I won't have to go into a home because he was starting to feel that his eyesight was going to cause uh, How old was he at this stage? He would have been um, 80. So he was looking for somebody really to come in and to companion. To, you know, to, uh, so I said, look, look it's great. that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. You know? Now, he couldn't pay me, not necessarily that I was looking for payment, but he said, look, 
I'll leave you the small cottage, small little two-bedroom cottage in Stony Battle, 120 years old, you know. Not hardly any work done. The old original yeah, ESB yeah. is still there yeah. and all that. And he said, look, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll leave you the house as payment. And I said, that's a brilliant idea. I said, but you know that I'll have to sell it because I'd have to pay inheritance tax, a third of the value of the house, which would have been about 100 grand. So that, that was it. I, but I was grateful to go in and stay there. I was looking after him. Um, and he said this to a friend of his down the country, Mary, and she said, ah, Jesus, you only can do is get married. And Matt yeah. laughed. And then thought about it and said, so he said it to me and I said, Mom, he said, let's do this for the crack. So I told the kids. But this was around 2017. This is 2017. I would have been there for, at that stage, maybe nine months or more. Um, but the kids, was, my elders were saying to me, be careful what, you, what you're doing. Because if you're saying you're getting married to avoid tax, that could be an illegal statement. Because in America, if you say, I'm getting married to get a green card, you're immediately deported. Because that's illegal. It's even illegal to say it. But was it illegal what you're doing? I don't no, think so. No, it wasn't. But people were saying this. Be very yeah. careful. Because avoiding tax, that could be yeah. illegal. But it's not. Tax evasion is illegal. Tax avoidance is not. It's not. But we didn't know that at the time. So we were keeping everything quiet. So at that stage, Matt, Matt listened, always listened to um, Joe Duffy. So on the 14th of December 2017, he was listening to Joe Duffy. And what was happening was there was a huge complaint against the health service. Everyone was saying that it was brutal, no good. And Matt was sick and tired of hearing this. So just rang up the phone and said, I'm going to say something good about the health service. So he rang up and he got answered. And he said, I want to say something good about the health service. And they said, can we ring it tomorrow? That sounds it's great to have somebody positive. Yeah, so he was talking about his experience. About his experience. So anyway, um, I, and the funny thing, I had, him at the, I had him down for a blood test the following day, which was the 15th of December 2017. And we were in a pound shop in Fibsborough in Dublin. And the phone rang. Joe Duffy. They said, looking for Matt Murphy. We're going to put him on. Can we get... So we said, I had to find a chair for him to sit down. We're in this... Mm. Te- so I found a chair in a corner and we sat him down. And he just was chatting away. Then you talk to the researcher. She takes this, your name, your number and all that type of thing. And he was just chatting away and he just said to her, do you want to laugh? And she yeah. said, yeah, I'm, I'm 85. He so opened he the won- can of worms yeah, when he, he said yeah. that. I'm, I'm 85 and I'm getting married next week. We're getting married on the 22nd. We'd set up the 22nd of December as the marriage day. And she said, geez, tell Joe. Yeah. We were on the Joe Duffy show. And Matt said, no, no, much of money having a laugh. But anyway, so he... he um, Got through to Joe, and the first thing Joe says, Now, Matt, we've got have you, congratulations for you now. I hear you're getting okay. married. And Matt says, Look, so I didn't ring in to talk yeah. about that. I rang in to talk about the health service. So Joe says, Well, go ahead, talk about what's. So he gave great praise of how they'd helped him. He nearly died in 2010 from a heart complaint. I went in that 2010 to see him in hospital. I thought he was dead. I did, it was St. Stephen's Day 2010. I was doing an acting job, but came in and found, I said, That's it, he's gone. He was in intensive care. He looked so sick, but they brought him back to life. Yeah. And then they found this eye problem, which they were able to find. After about three months, they found it, and they fixed it quite quickly. He lost the sight that he lost, but he was able to hang on to the bit he had. So, so he spoke he, about those things. So Joe. he spoke about yeah. those things. And then Joe came back and said, but Matt, you're getting married. Who are you getting married to? Yeah. He said, I'm getting married to my best friend in care, Michael O'Sullivan, to avoid inheritance tax. Over the <laughs> air. And I says, oh, And you know, do you know what, Michael? I heard that. Yeah. I actually, for some reason... Uh, I won't uh, 
put my hand up and say I'm a Joe Duffy listener mm. but for some reason on that Word day that I was listening to that and I did hear that so anyway uh, they, they ended up ending the conversation but then it rang back and they said uh, and I said I'll just get Matthew no 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 we're looking for Michael O'Sullivan so they spoke to me that day as well and then shortly after three we get calls from RTE saying look we're getting loads of contact from all the newspapers wanting to talk to you can we give out your number so they end up giving out the number and we start then. And that was we, the, that that was the start, start of it. And we, we spoke to the Sun. They were the first people to contact us and we met them the following Monday. We were back on Joe Duffy the following Monday as well, the 18th. And then we were on the Clareborn TV show on the night of the 18th. Yeah. You know? But that was nationally. I mean, this oh, was this, international. This, this was every I mean, newspaper this, this, this talk was about. in Brazil, in Well, Australia, at this stage, we, did, we just couldn't believe what was happening. But, so we, but the thing about the... the, the um, the photographer for The Sun was taking some photographs and he says, you know, this would be a great documentary. He says, but you'd need to film the wedding, which was happening in five days' time. And I said, well, do you know anyone? And he said, I'll try and find out. So he went off to try and find out. By Wednesday, I'd heard nothing. Rang him and he says, look, he says, it's just too close to Christmas. We're going to have to, you're going to have to do it yourself. But somebody from the Daily Mail on Sunday rang us and said, we're doing a, a piece on you on Sunday. Yeah. Is there anything unusual happening? And I said, well, actually there is. People rang into the HSE to say, ex-friends of mine rang into the HSE to say that I was setting up the whole thing. Yeah. I wanted to actually, yeah. I, I wanted to, if I can just uh, ask you about that, yeah. Michael, because um, I did uh, come across that and, and hear that, that I didn't know it was ex-friends, but yeah. I heard so, there were some complaints made yeah, to the so HSE. Complaints were made to the HSE. And you were, you were actually, uh, Matt was brought in and yourself were brought in and interviewed. What happened was Matt then needed to have a compass mentis test done by these people before the wedding. Now, I can understand because... This is literally days before the wedding. This is, this is Wednesday we heard about it. So Tuesday we heard about it. That we were contacted on Wednesday by the HSE saying, we have to interview Matt. It's a duty of care for us to interview Matt because of his age. How did he take that? He was very unhappy about it. Of course he was. Because Matt, Matt was compass If you see him in the, in the documentary, he really is compass mentis. Yes, he is, yeah. So they wanted to come to the house, but of course the house is all full of junk. So I said, look, we'll meet in Lilliput, which is a, our local um, yeah. cafe, which you probably see for I know, it, yeah, local place, yeah. So we said, we'll meet in there. So anyway, we'd arranged to meet then on Thursday in Lilliput. We then got contacted by the Daily Mail on Sunday. And I told them what was happening and they said, that's brilliant. We'll come and talk to you on Thursday as well, I think, or whatever. Maybe it was that day they were going to do an interview with us. Yeah. And I then said to her, you wouldn't know anyone to do a documentary. Yeah. And she says, well, I do. It was a fellow called Donald Maloney. So I said, okay, get, can you give him his number? So we contacted Donald on Wednesday evening. And had Matt worked with Donald three or four years previously as a model, because I got Matt, when I reconkindled with Matt and I was doing the acting, I got him an agent. Yeah. And he got loads of work. He's been on, Matt has been on television he's in two other documentaries as well and became famous himself before this you know as, as an actor or as, as, a, as a just as a person he was in two documentaries re, as representing himself if you okay. know but I can talk about that again so he actually had worked with Donald as a model for one of his photography exhibitions about three years previously so Do- Donald so at this stage had you talked to Donald about the documentary no no, no. this was the first thing so I said look at we were told we should do a documentary. Would you be interested? And he told us, well, what's the story? So I told him, he says, yeah, that sounds interesting. Come down tomorrow, we'll talk. So he met us, 
when we when Matt was getting his head examined in Lilliput, we went down to Lilliput. This is a busy day now. You've got, you have a lot of people to talk to yeah. on this day. So this on the Thursday, there's a we've two. I think in the morning we we did the meeting with the Daily Mail and Sheridan was a lovely girl. And in the afternoon, Matt was getting his campus, campus mentis test. And were you there o'clock. for that? Or yeah, was it just but like, I couldn't I couldn't sit with them. Yeah. So they went into the back of Lilliput, two people with Matt. And myself, I sat in the front in the shop. There's a little few seats in the shop. And Donald then spoke to me on camera. So that yeah. was the start of it. Yeah. Spoke to, then he later spoke to Matt. And then he, the following day, came to the wedding, of course. And can I just go back to, so he's in, Matt's in the back and he's uh, being interviewed. Interviewed and, by the HSE. Yeah. How did that fare? What, what was the outcome of that? That was nothing wrong with him at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, course, they just there and then said. There and then when they came out and said. He's fine. He's yeah. compass mentis. You know, he knows what he's doing. And what about the people that made those complaints? Do you, do you, did, did they um, acknowledge? Th- that's a, a little bit of a longer story because um, about two to two and a half years earlier, I had heard that all my friends thought I was robbing Matt. And it came to another friend said to me, now this other friend, um, this was playing on his mind because if everyone thought I was robbing Matt, the two things had to happen. Matt had to be saved from me or we have to stop telling all these lies because this wasn't true. So he actually challenged me on it. You know. But you know, when sometimes it's good to have these things confronted and uh, it, that's what happened here in the end. But, I was, but I, in the end, I was very lucky because I suffered with depression. That's why I left Aircom. I suffered with depression. If it had happened in a depressive episode where all my whole circle of friends that I'm finding something out and suddenly they're not my friends anymore. That could have put me into a... Because yes, yeah. I, I had gone out twice in my earlier times to commit suicide. I didn't do it, but I'd planned to do it. Yeah. I remember sitting on top of Hot Head in the car, ready to drive off. And second time I'd had planned it better because I was afraid that my children wouldn't get the money, you know, because if you kill yourself, you don't get... Um, and were these years prior to... These are years prior to... Yeah. Years moving on. I would have probably known Matt and all. But from about 93 onwards, I had... I had a bout of depression in 93. How, if you tell me, how did you get through that? I, I got through it badly at one stage. I'd be on tablets and then I'd be okay for a while. And then I, I kind of almost, after the second separation and was on my own for a while, there was times I've had really rough times. I remember with the kids in the car where I uh, had parked up and I was crying with the kid, with two of the kids in the car who would have been maybe seven and five, you know. But I just got, I broke down in, in the car with myself yeah. and I couldn't see my kids for a while. I suppose the, the acting does this for you. It gives you a little bit more strength inside. And I just, I just, just decided I'm going off all my tablets. I'm going to handle this with my own head. Yeah. That, that I've been down before. Because when you're down at your lowest, you think you'll never get out of it. But I'd been down before and got out of it. So the yeah. idea is... And d- did you... Sorry to cut across your mind. Yeah. Did you need help to get out of it? No. Or did you just, I just bring yourself out yeah, of it? Or I, you came out of it? I came out of it. I just said to myself, this is the way it happens. We live in cycles, and the low cycles are terrible, but you come out of them. The high, high, the high cycles, just live them. Enjoy them, yeah, because they're not going to be always there. And when you're in your low, look back at your history. Have you been low before? Yes. Have you got out of it? Yes. Can you get out of this? Yes. Yeah. So when I felt low, I wrote it out. I yeah. used to sit down. I'd and maybe would, not would you have bed. to write it out for long? Are you talking about months? You could, you could, I could be writing it out for a few days. and The last real low I got could have lasted months. I wouldn't yeah. go to bed. 
you know. And how how is it now? I would have, now I am great. Very level. I'm very level. If I get down, that's okay. That's part of life. Yeah. So what I've done is I've, I've thought it through in my own head and I've, I'm really, really in good shape. And that's why anytime I'm working with um, students or young people, I have them all coming out at the end going, I'm the best. Yeah. So if I'm, I'm doing Santi and I'm working with a number of young people as the elves. But at the end of the time I'm working with them, I'd say to them, Sean, what are you? He'd go, I'm, I'm the, the best. best. And that's my put. That's why I work with the students as much as I can. Because yeah. they get in touch with the young people. They give them this self-belief that they believe in themselves. Yeah. You know, that, that's well, look, really it's important. really great to hear that side of, of you know, what you've gone through. And I don't mean great as in a story, but it's such a thin line. Where it you is. say twice in your life you've contemplated ending oh, your yeah. life. The, the, and it's such a thin line. And you've, the thing you is said you've more than once, More than twice I've done that. Twice actually went out to do it. Yeah. And didn't do it, you know. You know, because I've contemplated it lots of times when you're feeling low. When you're feeling low, the problem with feeling low is that you think you'll never get out of it again. Yeah. But you will. Because you, but you have, what you have to do is you have to look back and say, have I been low before? Yeah. The answer is yes. Have I got out of it before? The answer is yes. Am I going to get but out of this? Sometimes people don't always see that. No, they don't. But yeah. that's what you end up having to yeah. train yourself to do. But look, that's, that's a really important message, I think, as well. You know, that you've just you've spoken about it yourself, the honesty that you've just given yeah. there. Because there's a lot of people probably listen to this that may have felt at some stages some part, some form of depression. Oh, for sure. And it's, uh, I think it's a very important topic. I know it's slightly sidestepping. I am now, you know, mo- No, but I don't mind this. moving into this because I've lived with mental illness all my life. My father was manic depressive. And I've had some, some really bad, I mean, one of the episodes I see, I can remember when I must have been about maybe 11 or 12, coming around the corner to my house, the police outside, my father outside with a hurl in his hand and my mother by the neck, dragging her into the house and closing the door with the police outside. Yeah. So my father was manic and very gentleman when he was well, but when he took one of his highs, he was um, terrible, terrible, you know. So I've seen yeah, that so all you've my, lived with that I've from, lived with from that. an early age. My family still have, so I had depression. My sister is manic depressive as well. So I've gone through her highs and lows and uh, as well. So I've, I've seen that. And we're not afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Because what's well, happening, the problem an, is... That's an important part It has of to it. be talked about. And yeah. I'm just going to pick Damien Dempsey. You know, Damien Dempsey, yeah, the singer. Indeed, he's a yeah. wonderful, wonderful yeah. singer. But he has, um, he's a very, very, two good, brilliant songs that he has. He has to bring in a documentary called Love Yourself Today. If anyone hasn't seen it, look at it. But that's one of the messages he gives at the end of, at the, end of the song is an anthem, love yourself today. We don't love ourselves enough. We don't, we, we have to be able to stand in front of a mirror and say, Michael, I love you. Yeah. And I can do that. Everyone should be able to do that. Yeah. So that's one of his. But the other thing as well is he's got a story about two of his friends who committed suicide. But he's got a message at the end of that. Talk to me and tell me how you feel. It's a wonderful piece at the end of that song. Yeah. And that's what we don't do. Yeah. If sometimes when you're feeling low, you don't want to talk to anyone. You feel you're the only one, and sometimes suicide is the only way out. But it's not. It's suicide not. is a 
a permanent yeah, well that's a strong but, message yeah. Michael that's a, per- what was it, a permanent solution to a temporary problem yeah, and I think maybe you know I could talk to you about this topic and, and par- this yeah. story for hours and hours and I'm going to move it on and we yeah. might come back at some stage can, yeah. in a later podcast to talk about that specific topic you know because that's be very, very relevant. relevant it's very relevant I think particularly to- after we're coming out of Covid and yeah. what's happening with people and just the challenges in life in this day and age as well um, and it's always nice to hear somebody who has something positive to say about something that could have went negative. Yes, because I've That's been in, I've been at the negative point as well, and luckily yeah. I came out of it. So I'm just going to bring you back to the yeah. wedding then. So if we just uh, so anyway, the wedding was on Friday the 22nd of December. Uh, Donald was there. He came over early in the morning, filmed us because this is the second the second day of filming. The first day was on Thursday in Lilliput. He interviewed me. He interviewed Matt, and then he came over on the wedding day, and he Matt opened the door to him to the camera and all that. So it was really really nice. And then he came over. And we went over, and of course, when we got to the the registry office, the place was jammed with people. Uh, a German TV company had sent over a, a, well, a, a, a cameraman as so well. So good. <laughs> yeah. So we went over and, and did that, and of course, all the cameramen wanted to be inside, but Donald, who was making documentaries, said, no, they yeah. can't be inside. They can take as much as they want outside, but they're not going to get this, because this is from yeah, the well, documentary. I, I did see the documentary, yeah. and I was... I think it was very sparse inside, wasn't well, it? Very sparse. Remember, me and Matt were looking at this yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a as a business arranger. We weren't even thinking. Do you have rings? Rings? Yeah. We don't have rings. All these things. Are you having music at it? Yeah. Never thought of it. Yeah. We had to, of course, get um, two people. A friend of Matt's was, uh, uh, Deirdre was the bridesmaid, as we called her. And a friend of mine, Frank, who unfortunately died uh, a few years ago as well. He was the the best man. And then two friends came in as well. Uh just to say can we come along and we never even think of guests we just never even thought of it because we weren't looking at it that way and then of course then you've got you know 20 photographers out and And, and probably beyond you know people looking for interviews not just people taking pictures and that day and the following day and the following day I mean what was it like it was just it was was like uh, being a celebrity Did, did, did you have to get somebody involved to sort of fend off who's calling you or who's contacting you or did you just just open the door our, every time someone knocked on it or, yeah, or answer the phone every stride, time someone yeah. rang just took it in our stride yeah. Matt, loved, now Matt loved the attention yeah. Matt's flamboyant and all that and, and yeah. just loved the attention so it was, it was really good for him getting stopped on the street um, but Matt was kind of used to this because Matt has been in pre, two previous documentaries that RTE had done almost by accident he was in two previous documentaries and he was kind of known for that because he was approached before about it you know yeah at what stage did the level of interest start to peter down so you could sort of live a normal life? Um, I suppose it had to be more than a year after because again we were contacted various times. Um, RTE wanted to do a follow-up to the Joe Duffy story, you know. Um, there's a TV series called, um, what's it called again, Live Line something, after Live Line or something like that, where they interview people on television about stories that had been on live line yeah. previously then. So we, we did that as well. Yeah. You know, and we were talking. That, that was probably a year later. Well, Michael, sorry, before I forget, one of the things I did want to ask you, and it probably goes back a little bit, but before or even after the wedding, you would have had to change your tax status as a married couple. And did revenue ever at any stage well, what hap- contact you? No, what happened was, uh, the couple of funny things that happened was... Um, the journalist rang the Gardaí to see where they're going to come and arrest us. This was around the time that it had been, um, you know, the, just before the wedding, the week of the wedding, 
journalists around the Gardaí to see where they're going to come and arrest us because we might be doing something illegal. They said no. They rang the revenue commissioners and asked them, are these two guys doing nothing illegal? You know, are you going to be following yeah, up? This is journalists. This is journalists doing this. They said no. But then Patsy McGarry, who works for the Irish Times, is the religious correspondent from the Irish Times, he had, he had contact with um, Michael McDowell, former Minister for Justice, former Attorney General, and he rang him and said, what's the story here? And Michael McDowell says, had a nice piece in the Irish Times saying, these guys are doing nothing illegal. Yeah. So, no, so we had somebody, you know, quite prominent former behind Former Attorney General. Former Attorney General. But, but also, the, the, I mean, just think about this. You've had, you've been reported to the HSE mm-hmm. to have Matt psychologically checked yeah. out. Somebody has contacted the Gardaí to see if you're going to be arrested. Yeah. And you've also had people contacting a former Attorney General to see if you're doing anything illegal yeah. and, and probably revenue as well to see yeah, if, well, if, you're, if you're doing anything illegal from a revenue perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's, there are a few hoops you've got to jump through yeah, to do. Yeah, that's true. And, and you didn't do anything wrong. No. You did nothing wrong. No. We, we had a good, uh, one of the nice things, the Sunday Business Post wrote in early January, the headline that the old, older farm, or the, 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 the lonely farmers of Ireland will be thanking Matt and Mike for what they've done. And the reason was that there's a lot of farmers who are on their own and they've got a young person or a relative or a local person helping them on the farm with the idea of leaving the farm to them because they're not married. But when that was done originally, that young person would be stuck with a huge inheritance bill to pay. So he'd have to sell the farm. Sell the property. It happens all over the country. All over the country. But now what they can do, the farmer can marry the helper, pass the farm on to him, with no liability. And I'm sure that has and happened. I'm sure happened. And I'm sure it's happened. Yeah. Can I take you on to after the wedding and I suppose you're living together in Stony Batter. Things are settling down a little bit. Um, you know, it has been a global story. It is a global story mm. and I'm sure you're still recognised by people. Um, things go back to some sort of normality. Matt's health started to decline probably a year or so after yeah. you two More guys married. So I start getting worse. Um, his knees used to give him a bit more jip. But um, I suppose he started to get a little bit of dementia. That's when a dementia would have been kicking in, you know. It, it got to the point where I was 24-hour care. Yeah. Because Matt would be up maybe three or four times during the night, up for two smokes and two goes at the toilet for a pee to the toilet, you know. But it got to the point where he couldn't remember how to get to the toilet. Yeah. Which was tough on him, you know. Yeah. Sometimes he'd get up and of course then, when he says, oh, of course I know where I'm going, I'd still be keeping my ear out for him as he's going. And then it got to the point where he'd say, are we upstairs or downstairs? Yeah, yeah. Because he had a little house in Cashel that he bought for his mother in the early 80s. She spent her last four lives, four years of her lives in, in Cashel. She used to live in a small lodge out on the big estate. But when her husband died... She was on her own out there. So Matt bought a house for £600 in about 1982 or something like that, or 80. And took a year to get done up. And he moved her into town. And she loved it. Yeah. Matt didn't lick his um, charm off the ground. He yeah, got it from yeah, his mother. Yeah. And his mother was supposed to have been a lovely woman. She'd open up the door in the morning. And once the door was open, people would come in to see her. Yeah. Because they just loved being with her. And... Um, I remember going through, I found her obituary. When I was going through all Matt's things after Matt died, all the stuff that he had gathered, I found her her obituary, which was a lovely obituary of how wonderful woman she was, you know. Well, 
Matt, he's, he sounds like um, he sounds like an absolute gentleman. That's oh, been honest with character. you. I mean, if you the character and if you, a gentleman. If, if you look at the documentary, and, and this is what I want to do. If anyone's out there who wants to see a really, really good documentary, that's it's a humanist story and uh, it's a universal story. It's only been seen in Ireland. Yeah, it needs to be seen, yeah. not just for me, but for Donald, the man who made the documentary. It's a beautiful piece of of documentary filmmaking. Yeah, well, I, I would agree with that. I've seen it. Yeah. And I watched it as I knew we were going to have a chat. I watched it again. Um, it's on, on the, the player. RT player. Yeah. I watched it again, and it's uh, it's it's you know because it goes on. I suppose if I move on to the part where Matt, I mentioned his health, or you mentioned his mm. health was failing and he was struggling a bit, but that came. He eventually passed away from ill health yeah. in 2020. 2020, January, January 2020. Yeah. Um, and that must have been a tough time for you. It was tough, but um, I'm very practical. Even when my father and mother died, I'm into practical mode. What has to be done? Uh, and he wasn't enjoying his life at the time. His eyesight was going out. His knees were giving up. Uh, he's starting not to remember things. He's starting to struggle to get around the house. He can remember where he was in the house. And he was getting very depressed. Because he used to say, he had to, say to me, you know, is this what... Was he life? Was he aware that he was coming near the end? Oh, he was, you know. Did, but did he stay thing, at home? Was he at he home? He stayed at home. But he had a couple of... In, in 2019, he, had, he was in hospital three times. The third time he never came out. He um, started to hallucinate. When he gets an infection, he would hallucinate. And uh, he'd ask me, you know, who's the woman in the red dress? I said, there's no one there. He said, look at the woman in the red dress, you know. Yeah. So he was starting to hallucinate. And uh, he was in hospital then for two months at one stage where he had a fall in the house. And uh, he had a month in the hospital where they were trying to find out the infection and all that. And he wasn't well. He was then moved to a community unit, which is a step-down facility. He was there for another month. And then that's when I had to clear out the house because the house was piled up with stuff. Yeah. He couldn't, it wasn't out yeah, from home. Yeah. So eventually we got to start doing the house up. But then the doctors in the community unit said, you have to bring him home. Yeah. He said, we need, we need the bed. And the thing was, I was going in every morning at 8 o'clock to see him anyway, yeah. help him with his breakfast and then bring him out for lunch because he loved being out. Yeah. So they said, look, he's not, he's not as bad. I think three or four people died in the, in the room yeah. where he was yeah. around the month he was there. Yeah. You know, they brought in and, and Matt wasn't at that stage was, was reasonably, reasonably well so of course then he just it, it was getting hard he was getting incontinent that was another thing that was tough for him as well yeah so he was eyesight was going his knees were going his uh, dementia was going he was coming incontinent he was getting very depressed about things so and eventually eventually when, got an infection when, and I had to bring him into hospital because he went apeshit one in the house one night wanting me to bring him to a door that didn't exist yeah you know he's, I and said, was that the final time he that, went to yeah, that was the final time he went in. And it, so how long was he in hospital that time before I he think passed? think nine days. And the thing about it, if you look at the documentary, um, there's a part where you see him lying on a, on a, on a, um, a stretcher, whatever you call them, and he's singing. Yeah. Nine days after that, he was gone. He, he had some sort of infection. He then picked up flu in the emergency unit. He was put in a flu ward and he never came out. Yeah. But I have to say, he was treated so well. There's a, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. There's a room where you go before you die, where you, where you, there's a bed. Yeah, a where couch, you're made comfortable. Where and, you're made yeah. comfortable. So while he was in there with Matty and yeah. his, his relations came down from the north, they'd been down for a while. And uh, I stayed then in, the, the, in there for two nights with him. And 
when when Matt passed, um, and after the funeral, he was. He was cremated. Am I right in saying he was, he was cremated? He was yeah. cremated, and his ashes were brought back to Cashel. Well, he had specific instructions of what to do. He wanted so half his ashes spent at the old house, yeah. where, the old lodge where he was born, and he wanted you to half put in with his mother in a small graveyard in the middle of nowhere, uh, near near his home. So eventually, we did that last year. Myself and my youngest daughter went down, and we did that. Last. Couldn't do it because of COVID. So he has a resting place. He has a resting two resting places. Two resting places. <laughs> He's in two yeah. resting places. Yeah. But I still have some ashes with him. I, I get, then I, these little urns, I've got five little urns made for everybody, but unfortunately some people didn't want them. So I still have, a t- I have two left, two little urns. And on his anniversary, I go down to one of the local coffee shops where we had coffee. Bring and I, bring his fo- I bring his photograph and the little urn and we sit outside and I invite people in for coffee. And I sit there for the whole day. I've done this twice already and I'll do yeah. it again next January on the anniversary of his death. And about 30 or 40 people throughout the day will come along and I'll get them a cup of coffee to remember Matt, you know. Brilliant. Well, Michael, I, I just want the listeners out there to know that, um, you know, I personally have, on the podcast I do here, it's about real life stories. And I don't think you can get more real than what you've just spoken about here. The documentary you were talking about during that, that Donald film that you were talking about yeah. during the interview, for people listening, it's actually called Let the Rest of the World Go By. So if they do want to look for it, they'll, they'll find it out there. If they they'll find it, but the problem is they can't see it. I, I do think that if anyone knows anybody who wants to see really a good documentary, please get in touch with John here because um, Donald never got funded to do this. He did it all himself. Yeah. And when it did go on to the Irish telev- television station, he wouldn't have got a huge amount of money for that, you know. Yeah. But it deserves to be seen. Uh, Graeme Norton, who saw it, the second one, he, he saw it in June of last year, 2021. And he wrote, a, he spoke lovely, very caringly about it on his uh, radio show. But I would love to get, to get it put on in various places around the world because it deserves it. The actual yeah. story was worldwide. Therefore, the documentary should be a worldwide showing. The door's always open at at the podcast here, Pricey Talks Real Life. So if anybody does want to get in touch with me, maybe we'll be be able to get something going there, Michael. I'd love that. It it deserves it. It does. It's been a great story. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come into the studio here today and have a chat. It's a great story. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks very much, John. I really enjoyed that. Thanks very much, Michael.